Welcome to another episode of TechNado. I am Sophie Goodwin, one of your hosts here. And before we jump into today's articles, I do want to just give a shout out to our sponsor, ACI Learning. Thanks so much for sponsoring this podcast. And if you want to check out some of those videos over at itpro.com, which also comes to us from ACI Learning, you can use that code TechNado30 to get a discount on your membership. Once again, I'm Sophie, and I'm not alone here. If you've watched TechNado before, you know this. I've got these gentlemen to my to my left here don is here with me the the i called you the grand poobah the other day and somebody was like why did you why did you say that but that's kind of what you are you know you you lead the charge uh you know i'll take that title if we get to wear the big blue hats like they had in the yes. flintstones that's it's got a that was a grand poobah right the think so. royal order of the water buffalo or something rob it's probably a better question for daniel i think because he has like the movie and tv trivia on lock and i don't as much but this is Flintstones knowledge. I don't know how far back you go uh, on that. I have a decent Flintstones knowledge. I was distracted, though, because I went to ITPro.com, and that is not us. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean ITPro.com. <laughs> look up ACI Learning ITPro. You'll find it. It's there. Is this like, like WhiteHouse.gov versus WhiteHouse.com? <laughs> did we get that? I did not know we There's a few that. people by that name out yeah. there. That's not us. So, yeah, just just you do, do a Google search. You'll find it. Yeah. You know where to so anyway, look. Flintstones. What Flintstones. about them? The Grand Poobah. They wear the big blue hat. Oh yeah, is it was like a thing? loyal a royal order of the water buffalo, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yes, the Grand Poobah was the, we have confirmed the leader. The facts. Yeah. Okay, I just thought it was a funny name, and now now I know it means something. So yeah, the Grand Poobah and and Daniel are here yeah. with me today. We're gonna have a lot of fun. Um, you might have if you if you've poked around our channel at all recently, you might have noticed we did a lovely Christmas giveaway recently. Feel free to go back and watch that. We did some awesome trivia. If you want to check that out, we were all present and we had some friends with us as well. That was a lot of fun. But for today. We've got some lovely tech and security news for you, as we always do. So we'll go ahead and jump into our first article in the world of Linux. This one comes to us from Tom's Hardware. I'm reading off my phone. Sorry, I'm looking down at my lap here. Linux gets its own blue screen of death, and it seems more helpful than the one on Windows. So I guess the one on Windows, every time I get like a blue screen, which is not often, but it's just like, <laughs> oh, we had a problem. We had an oopsie, and we got to do some things, but it doesn't get specific with it. So does this blue screen of death give you at least some hints as to what the problem is? Maybe. 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 It's a definite maybe. Good article. So, uh, <laughs> so, so a couple of details on this one. Uh, Linux is getting a blue screen of death. Yes, it is blue. So it, it truly is that. Uh, and what it does, it, it, it's a function of system D, right? So it's probably more accurate to say system D is getting a blue screen of death, not necessarily Linux. Because if, if you're running a Linux distro with no system D support, this is not coming to you uh, anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but what it does is it looks for where you have a an emergency message logged to syslog, or not syslog anymore, but uh, journal D. And if it sees that, it says, oh, computer's hosed. I'm going to throw up a blue screen. I'm going to show you the log message, and I'm going to show you a QR code that you can scan to go and, and potentially get more information on, on what that issue is. And then your computer's hosed, so you reboot or, or crash out or whatever. So So that's what it does. Windows is very similar, but you know the blue screen of death is really famous. It's been around for forty years and uh, or thirty years. And when you get a blue screen on that, Microsoft will normally show you the error name, which is almost guaranteed to be useless, right? So mm. something like IRQ unequal, right? And you look at that and you're like, oh, okay, well, what does that even mean? Uh, it might give you a full memory dump, like back in the NT yeah. days, you'd get a full memory dump. Again, useless. Uh, now, and couldn't today, you just uh, like submit those to Microsoft, and they actually could? They knew what that junk meant. So, what happens? Is, I mean, sort of, yes. Okay. Right, but there's no way to transmit that, and so what mm. happens is there is a memory dump written to disk, and when you get on the phone with Microsoft, 
assuming that happens, that you know they can request you to send that memory gotcha. dump to them. But what's on the screen, useless. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, and then why the, are they telling you that at all? <laughs> yeah. And the QR code they display is just a generic QR code. It just yeah. takes you to the support page. It's, so it might as well just say, "I'll snap, dog." <laughs> yeah. Jump just went <laughs> super sideways. Reboot. <laughs> what I think is entertaining though is that for decades in the Linux community, it's been you know poke fun at the blue screen of death. Yeah. We don't need a blue screen of death. We our users can handle an error message. Well, you know, here you're getting an error message, but it is kind of adopting that mentality. Mm. And it's part of System D. And so that means this is going to carry over into RHEL, Ubuntu, like all the major distros. I feel like we just talked about this last, not not this, the blue screen of death, but the idea that users apparently love kid gloves all of a sudden. Like text on a screen just like gives them seizures or mm -hmm. something. There's a health warning associated with it. And now we're just putting graphics up to go, hey, I'm sorry, there's something wrong. I'm so... It's like, why? Yeah. 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 Like, I can handle text. I actually probably am kind of more interested in that than I would be some rando graphic. Well, you know, one one nice thing here is instead of just giving you the error name, mm -hmm. it is actually giving you the error log, the, the message nice. from the log, which in the Linux world is typically far more informative mm -hmm. than what you'd get in the Windows world. So... I, I fully suspect this to be a much more useful outcome. Uh, it's still in the early release train, so most of us are not going to see this roll out until next year, uh, but expect to see it. And then if you have a, uh, a kernel crash or a halt, you know, some kind of memory error, expect to see this new blue screen. I wonder if there's going to be any, like, trolling hackers out there creating denial of services of some kind that are specifically meant to generate blue screens on Linux systems. You know, I, I was poking around in a Reddit thread on this, yeah. and and they had the commands where you could generate it yourself. Oh, yeah. So you, you can trigger it yourself and have it display whatever message you want. Uh, what I was curious was, could you manipulate the QR code? Uh, oh. And I wasn't able to find a way to do that, but I'm, I'm sure somebody will, yeah. because QR codes are like the way to attack people right now. Yeah, I mean, there's somewhere in there that gives you access to that QR code. Once yeah. you find it and you can manipulate it, it's game on. <laughs> because how much more trust can you have in a system? Here, here's this blue screen, this generator, this low-level error. It came right. from the from system D. Right. So it's got to be safe to scan that QR code. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you What's get the worst fun. that could happen? <laughs> so the QR code that shows up for uh, what they're talking about, the Linux, I guess, blue screen of death, it gives you specific information on the error as opposed to the Windows QR code that just takes you to general support? So that that's... Yet to be seen. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I dug as much as I could to find out about the QR code, yeah. and there's not a, not a lot of documentation on it yet. TBD. Um, and I imagine they're having to find a way to map that back. You know, like, what, what site do they link to? If, if this is System D, and it's generating a blue screen, and you're on a rel box, can they send you to Red Hat's documentation, or do they have to go to generic documentation, or do they just point to Arch because they have the best documentation? You know, it, it's, it's kind of up in the air. Okay, but you guys are both Linux users, so maybe once this you start to see this implemented, you'll be able to give us the inside scoop on what this actually looks like if you run into an error. Linux never crashes, so. so. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. I believe you. I'm more curious about how to, how we can abuse it, which I, I think there's <laughs> a couple of ways. Don wants to make a troll OS. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the the project that y'all take on over like the, the Christmas time, Christmas break and everything. That'll be what y'all are working on. You'll come in the yeah. new year and be yeah. like, yeah. I broke it. Yep. I found a way. We got and it. 
your computer will crash and we'll get the QR code to point to different memes. Yes. You know, based on what, trail. what type of crash you've <laughs> yeah. got. Yeah. Or Rick Roll. Yeah. <laughs> Each meme has another QR code on it that takes you to another meme. You just takes you to another meme. You just lost like three hours of work. Yeah. Your server's offline. Your users are complaining. You scan yeah. the QR code and you get Rick Rolled. Yeah. I think it would be great. <laughs> like you, you have absolutely given me up, Rick. You've let me down. <laughs> Well, I am still a Windows user, so I'm still going to get the little sad face that just says, oopsie. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say oopsie, but it might as well say oopsie. It might we, as well. We might had a problem. Well. We'll fix it. Don't worry about it. And I will accept it like the happy camper yeah. that I am. Try harder next time. Yeah. That's what yeah. it should say. Yeah. <laughs> this is somehow your fault. Yeah, you screwed up. Like, are you blaming me for this? I'm the victim blaming here for Microsoft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yet I'm still going to use it. So it's yeah. clearly they're, they're doing yeah, something right. They got it going. Yes, so we'll go ahead and jump into our next article, one that maybe I'll be a little bit more familiar with because, like I said, I'm not a super Linux user, but this comes to us from Ars Technica. It says, Google calls drive data loss fixed and says, or it says locks forum threads saying otherwise. So this kind of sounds like <laughs> a little sus. If they're like, oh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Don't talk about it. That's a little, hmm, that's a little sus. Yeah. All right, uh, cloud storage. Cloud storage has entered the mainstream. You know, it doesn't take a, a super IT user to, to make use of this. Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive, Dropbox, the, these solutions are just... Uh, Ubiquitous. Yes, good, good word. Uh, <laughs> that's our, our big word of the day. So, uh, uh, so that one, I mean, everybody uses them. And the idea is... I can't be trusted to protect my own data. Let me rely on somebody like Google to do it for Transfer me. Transfer the risk. Hey, yeah, it, it's synchronized in the cloud. If my computer gets hosed, I know I've got it up there. If I buy a new computer, I just log into Google and it downloads all my stuff. And and hey, if you can't trust Google with your data, who can you trust, right? So so that that's the, the story here. Well, some reports started coming out the last few weeks about users having files disappear from Google Drive. Okay, not that they were corrupt, not that they had been modified, that they were just gone, but straight up gone. They did a David Copperfield act. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Except for real. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and so you know, people started opening tickets with Google and raising a concern. And and if you ever tried to open a ticket with Google, you know that that also involves David Copperfield. <laughs> and it's almost impossible to do. Uh, but Google came out and said, "Oh yeah, this is no big deal. Look." It's a problem with the desktop client. Uh, it, it must have done a bad synchronization, and you just need to restore it from a backup. And people said, well, wait a minute. How, how do you do that? And Google said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a secret menu. And, and if you, yeah, I learned this. Uh, so if you're running Google Drive and you have a little icon in your system tray and you click on it, you get a little menu. If you hold shift when you click on it, you get a different menu. Ooh. And that different menu has some debug options, including recover from backup. It's like and, Mac OS. Yeah, so you can you can roll it back to a previous time, and your deleted files will come back, right? <laughs> and Google said, yeah, the problem is is just between the desktop client and our cloud service, and it gets confused. Hmm. Okay, well, you know, we can we can believe that, but then a few users came out and said, wait a minute, I don't I don't use the desktop client, I just use G Suite, and I have a spreadsheet that I created using the cloud version of of Google Docs in G Suite, and I've never had it sync. And it disappeared. Where the heck is it? And Google said, lock thread. <laughs> <laughs> Problems fixed. Lock thread. No more yeah. comments. They got like straight up Orwellian on this they thing. Did. They? Yeah. they did. 
So uh, they haven't fixed anything. I, I think it's yeah. really important and they're, to know. They're coming around you up for wrong think. <laughs> and there's a secret menu you can use to restore your files, but otherwise they don't want to talk about it anymore, and they've locked it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, that makes me trust them. I mean, obviously they've got this on lockdown, right? This is literally. So, so what? What is there any like inside scoop on this that you found out, or is this just like, hmm? Maybe I should rethink my uh, relationship with Google. So if there's one thing that I've learned in all of my years working with, with storage area network SANS, yeah. uh, is that they're, they're really complex. And when you have large amounts of data, weird things can start to happen. Uh, and if you have data, and, and even here, I'm, I'm going to step out of the enterprise space. Let's just go to Don personally, hmm. right? I have a Plex server, and I've got about, I don't know, three terabytes of, of video files that are on there. Many of them that I ripped from DVD, so I'm, I'm a legit user. Uh, <laughs> it's not, I, don't, I don't wear an eye patch. That's uh, right. But, I got uh, friends that do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't vouch for other people's flex right, servers, but I'm right. like, so I have DVDs that I ripped back as far back as like 2004. Yeah. And there are times where I go back and there's bit rot, right? You've probably heard of bit rot where yeah. just... Something along the way, maybe a disk defragmentation, maybe migrating from one storage device to another, or something has caused a file to become corrupt. Bit flipping. Or, yeah, right? you know, stuff like that can happen, yep. right? For a regular user, you don't normally notice this stuff. But when you're Google and you have petabytes exabytes of, the, yeah. of data, I mean, yeah, just, I don't remember which one's bigger. Petabyte, exabyte. exabytes are yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have gigawatts of data. <laughs> uh, 1.21 <laughs> of them. <laughs> uh, you're likelihood of having errors like this happen is higher. Uh, the thing here that's the big risk to me is you know, we, we trust Google to be able to do a better job than us. But if they're losing data, now you have to question, can they actually do a better job than us? Should we maintain our own data? Well, I mean, that kind of does bring up also the idea of decentralization, right? Like, is decentralization the future for your data storage, where you're not keeping everything on one platform in one spot, because that introduces a single point of failure. And if that data goes bye-bye one day, and they go, oh, we don't have that backup. You got that backup? And you're like, I ain't got that backup. You're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, no good, right? So maybe we're, we're – I've seen this with a lot of different platforms as well, not just like data storage and everything, the the, the talk of going to decentralization, like like Tor. Not, not Tor, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Torrents, like BitTorrent, okay. right? Yeah. It's all decentralized. You got your data out there. So building, is it the library protocol that kind of does that? There's, hmm. Or there's a couple of different protocols that are out there now that are for, specifically for doing decentralized stuff. So maybe that's the, that's the way forward, the wave of the future where you actually have a little bit of my yeah. files and I got a little bit of yours and Don's got a little bit of mine and you got a little bit and everybody's got a little bit. And then when I need my file, my client just kind of goes, hey, who's got that? I need that stuff. And it pulls it down and I can use it. So yeah. maybe that's where we're at. Yeah. I used to use a, a program called BitTorrent Sync. Yeah. That did that. They rebranded as Resilio Sync. Uh, that's a paid product. There's a free product called Sync Thing hmm. uh, that does the same thing where you're basically running a torrent, but between your own computers. Yeah. And so you can synchronize data across the systems. But, you know, the, the, the challenge becomes the storage cost, hmm. right? So having enough storage to store a large data set in multiple places, and Google has that money. Uh, yeah. A lot of us don't. That's a trade-off, I guess, right? You're, you know, do I want the single point of failure or do I you know, deal with the storage? And, and the more people that buy into a decentralized network, 
the less that becomes a problem, right? Mm. Yeah. Now, JSTOR yeah. was a, a, an organization, oh, they're still around, uh, where they wanted to make it where it was more like what you were describing, Daniel, mm. where your data was stored on other people's computers. Like it yeah. was a, a community, a commune, communist, whatever. stories. stories. The People's Republic of, <laughs> of BitTorrent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, your data had to be encrypted. Because you don't want other people to be able to access your data. Right. And then it had to be broken up into blocks so that it couldn't be like brute force decrypted, yeah, uh, which meant the performance was garbage. Absolute gotcha. garbage. When you wanted to retrieve a file, you had to reach out to all these disparate systems, yep. reassemble it, decrypt it. So, you know, if it's a Word document or your family photo, it's probably not a big deal, mm. but certainly not anything you work with on a regular basis. Yeah. So uh, I guess what you're promoting now is a hybrid, right? Where you got the, the very sensitive data that stuff that needs to be completely locked down that goes into a more secure area and yeah it is a single point of failure maybe you have a backup for that which you should right but yeah much less and then for other files it's just distributed networks and you're like it's use kind of both both and yeah. i'm a guy that likes options so <laughs> now what i worry about is how often do we lose data and don't know about it good question right so um i got married like a million years ago and, I remember. <laughs> yeah, you were there. Yeah. Fred Flintstone uh, was there. Yeah. And we hired a wedding photographer, and they, they took pictures, right? Yeah. And when I say they took pictures, they took like a thousand pictures. I, I don't know the actual number, but it's yeah. a lot. I'm sure it was a thousand. And I, I, I've not looked at all a thousand, but if one of them disappeared, and now there were 999, I wouldn't notice. Right. Right? And so... I could be losing data and have no idea. Right. And and that's where, like, if you're storing data in the cloud and you're really worried about this, you might need to start doing checksums. Mm. And, and you know, that way you can do a comparison to make sure your data is still valid. We shouldn't have to do that. We should be able to trust the providers that we sync uh, or that we sync with. But in this case, I think Google's showing us that at least at least with them, maybe that trust is misplaced. And, and you know, it's funny. It's like I, it's, I was on the way to work this morning. And I was thinking about how many files I have that I never look at, but I want them. I want to have access to them when randomly I want them. Mm -hmm. You know, things like photo, family photos and things of that nature. And I thought of things like, um, what's the AWS Service Glacier? Yeah. Right? Where you put it in this cold storage. You're yeah. not really accessing it at all. You get super cheap pricing yeah. for with that. A, with a four-hour retrieval period. Yeah, which yep. is fine, right? Yeah. If, if randomly I'm going to like, oh, yeah, I got to get that picture out. Okay, let me make a request for that. And, and then you wait I'll four hours. Yeah. yeah, no big deal. So that that's definitely another way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that uh, is a little odd to me, I mean, obviously this is, this is a concerning issue, but the fact that it was, there was a, a thread on it, right, on the, on the forums, and they locked it immediately and we're like, okay, it's fixed. And then any other, anytime somebody tries to create like a new thread and talk about it, they, they mark it, they say, oh, that's a duplicate. Stop yeah. talking about it. And they yeah. lock it. And it's- That's a good point. A little- mm, why is it that big of a deal for, for people to at least try to talk to each other? And that would usually, you'd think, be the quickest way to figure out a solution or figure out if the solution that was proposed is actually working. Google's if you, giving yeah. Sophia trust issues. Well, yes. you know, um, as you should. <laughs> I think that, you know, maybe this is shocking to you. It's not shocking to us because historically, Google doesn't talk to their customers. Like for a long, long time, until Google started selling cell phones, there was no way to talk to a Google employee, period. Fun. You could not call. There was no phone number posted. There was no mm. human you could reach out to. They're, they opened the support forums, but it was just the users supporting the users. Like, no Google employees looked at those forums at all until they started doing the Android phones. And they got under some FCC scrutiny, 
And that's when they were like, whoops, okay, we got to actually pretend like we support our customers. And so then they started pretending. Uh, and it was all canned responses that were in the forums. Uh, and then as their Google Cloud product started to grow, they were like, okay, well, now we're expecting people to spend a lot of money with us. We at least have to answer the phone. And so now they have like the lowest quality possible people that will answer the phone if you're a Google Cloud customer, you know, if you're using uh, Google Compute. Uh, mm. But Google is known for like, literally having the worst customer service possible. Sure, but if you're going to have crappy customer service and then the only option really for users is to go to these forums and rely on other users for help and then you lock the forum, what's the point of having the forum then if you're going to if it you're going to lock it? Checks a box with the FCC <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. It's like you can't use it, but it's there. Wait. We so, sort of help. Yeah, start looking for Google <laughs> alternatives, ladies and gentlemen, because yeah. I yeah. mean, honestly, they're kind of not. I did. I know we talked a couple weeks ago about um, the whole thing with coming up in 2024, how there's going to be issues with ad blockers and everything. So I did port all my stuff over to Firefox, and I have to say, I'm happy with it. Like, I it's basically I noticed no discernible difference. It's not like I miss Chrome and yeah, I just I, it allowed me to do all yeah. this stuff. I can still access my Gmail. I can still get to my Google Docs, assuming that they haven't been deleted and I can't recover Don't them. You yeah. love this. This is capitalism hard at work. Now <laughs> I have to update my spreadsheet. All right, let me find Firefox. Six users, seven users. Done. There you go. Yes. Hey, I'm employee number two. So I've already started looking at uh, at alternatives, I guess, for for all of my Google stuff. But I have all this stuff and Google Drive and all that. I don't have to move it all over. It's gonna suck if I have to do that. You know, it's a it's a Buy once, cry once, kind of thing, right? You, you you go through the pain and suffering of moving it, and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I moved my data from uh, from I actually had it in Google Drive, yeah, and I moved it over to OneDrive, shifted over to, yeah, to yeah. Microsoft. Uh, but I have a, a little NAS at home where mm. I maintain my own copy of the data right. and I synchronize it. So uh, I don't trust but verify. I That's guess. Right. That's but, right. But you know, Sophie, you mentioned alternative browsers. That's a good segue into our next article. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to Google at a later date when they implement the Ministry of Truth and all of that stuff. So, <laughs> so never. Room so 101. Never. Well, Ministry of Truth being... No, they've already started that. You, you know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Ministry of Truth Ministry is a bad truth. thing. Yep, yeah. got it. Yes, Sorry. many true. So we'll come back to them at a later date when they implement that. But yes, this next article comes to us from NeoWin. Arc browser for Windows beta invites are finally being sent out. And when we were talking before the show and, and kind of going through the articles and everything, Don mentioned... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you were kidding or not, but you said it's crap. But you can try the beta. <laughs> were you being serious, or was that? Were you just kidding? All right. I, I, I always love to try new browsers, and and you know, there's some that are out there that are really neat, like like Vivaldi that has a lot of features packed in it, and and some of them try different things, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of browsers tend to give you the exact same experience. And when when you move from Google Chrome to Firefox, is it really that different? Not really, right? You know, tab browsing, you're, you're bookmarks. Looking at, yeah, you're looking at web pages. But for your average user, it's not different. For a power user, you're like, all right, well, I can run Grease Monkey scripts and stuff like that in, yeah. in Firefox, so there, there's value there. But for your average user, it, it's the same. But every now and then you hear about a browser that really tries to do something different, and that's what Arc Browser said. <laughs> <laughs> they said, we're, we're different, and, and they launched on iOS and Mac. Okay. So if, if you had a Mac, you could get in there and try Arc Browser. Uh, and, you know, from the screenshots and things they were showing at the time, uh, you know, it, it was different. It had a different layout. The address bar was on the left side instead of the top. And and you could customize the layout of everything and, and just give you a, a new way to interface with the web. It physically looked different. It had different features. And, and it would change people's workflows. Mm -hmm. uh, well, 
it stayed in the Mac and iOS world, and only now is it opening up to the Windows world, where we have a much larger user base. So if you want to try the Arc Browser beta, you can now jump into it. Now, for me, it, it's got some kind of gimmicky features. You can change the layout. You can modify web page. You can do like custom CSS for certain domains so that you can make other people's websites look different just for you. That, that's neat. But at the end of the day, under the hood, it's just Chrome. It's uh, just another Chrome browser. And so to me... We've already got that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 I need a browser that doesn't eat so much RAM. You know, I, yeah. I need a browser that can handle more than 10 tabs without going insane. And I don't think these are big asks, but instead, this one, they just put a fresh coat of paint on Chrome. And so it's a little bit disappointing. It's not it's not really delivering on that vision. So it's not crap. You're just disappointed. Yeah. I, I'm not angry. I'm right. just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. It could be so much more. Yeah. And, you know, so talking about browsers, I, I'm... Started with Firefox a long time ago, so I just kind of got kept going with that. Especially once I got into security, all the like you were talking about Grease Monkey scripts and things of that nature. There's a lot of great plugins for Firefox that are for, and not that there's not some great ones for Chrome browsers as well. I'm just so used to Firefox at this point. It's like why migrate? The only time I ever got to where I was, I thought, yeah, I need this too, not in lieu of, but as well. Again, options guy, right? Uh, was Brave. Right? Brave did a really good job at blocking things and ad tracking and all that other stuff, kind of kind of pushing those things down and, uh, you know, really quick access into the Tor network and that kind of stuff. There was, a lot, there was a lot of neat features that were useful and convenient, so I keep Brave. And I have Brave running right next to Firefox. Literally, I, I have two browser windows open, one for things I do in Brave and one for things I do in Firefox. And and I'm off to the paces. So that's that's kind of what I was hoping to see. I want to see something that, that really has a niche. And yeah, changing your you know, CSS or whatever to be customizable, that's not really it's not really that big of a deal, right? Well yeah. and, and that's what you need to do. You need to come out with something that's a big deal that you do really well, that's different. And it's cool that it runs on top of Chrome or whatever. That cool. Use that as your platform, but give me something cool to sink my teeth into to go, oh, I would have to do a lot of customization to my normal Chrome browser to make it cool like this. And I can, but, or I could just download this thing. That's where they are missing the boat. And CSS changes aren't going to really do it, at least not for this cat. Yeah, and that was just one example. Um, you can group web pages into spaces. You can have uh, web pages pinned to the sidebar where they're like a bookmark but a tab at the same time like they, they, okay. they, there's crazy features like that that uh they go beyond just the css thing yeah but it, it, it is all just surface level so right. when you get down to the, the the brass tacks of browsing the web it's just a, another chromium browser yep. yeah now it does say down down at the towards the end of the article it's supposed to be a secure browser that pledges not to share your data and da 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 da. da. But I feel like I've heard this before, like with DuckDuckGo, where <laughs> it was like, oh, we're gonna make all these promises, and then I never got on the DuckDuckGo DuckDuckGo train. I was just too lazy to try a new browser at the time, and uh, then it ended up being, well, it's, no, it's not what we thought it was, and they made these promises they couldn't keep. So I'm curious. This is speculation. Do you think that this? Do you have faith that this is actually gonna be like a? This is a secure browser. We're not gonna share your data. Or no. no. Well, okay. even if they delivered on that, right? Let's yeah. just benefit of the doubt. There's you know five other browsers that are like that right now, so that's right. not a differentiating right. factor. That, and that's the problem, right? Do something that's cool and different so they make me go, yeah, I need this too. Yeah. 
Sure. Okay. That makes sense. I, I do think it's funny that the company that, you know, creates this this browser arc is just called the browser company. I think that's kind of, it reminds yeah. me of uh, when the Washington football team had to change their name to the Washington football team because they didn't have a name yet. And it yeah. was just Washington football team. And that was their logo, the W. So I just think that's a fun little name, the browser company. They should have stuck with that because the commanders is a dumb name. Oh, is that what they are? That's the what Washington they are now. Commanders. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. They should have uh, just stuck with Washington football team. At least it was unique, yeah. <laughs> WFT. Just keep just keep it that way. But they didn't. So anyway, so we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I guess maybe, are you guys going to try the, the beta, do you think, of this browser? Yeah. Or do you think you'll just leave it? I, I've messed around with the Mac version, and there, there wasn't anything compelling to make me want to switch to it. To want to try yeah. the Here's Windows. How I feel about it. If it is as cool as they say it is, I'll, I'll hear about, oh, man, you're not using right. blah, blah, and I'll be like, okay, I'll check it out. Okay, not an early adopter over yeah. there at the end of the table. Yeah. That's yeah. that's fair. You got to give it some time. Let it. Listen, I only got so much time in my day, man. I got time <laughs> to test your bullcrap. <laughs> All right, well, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll take a break to uh, talk some more crap about browsers, I guess. Uh, but don't worry, we will be back in the second half of TechNado with more security news. So don't go away. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back for more TechNado. Thanks so much for sticking with us through that break. If you're loving this episode, which I'm sure you are, don't forget you can subscribe to our channel so you never have to miss an episode of TechNado in the future. And if you are enjoying our articles today, feel free to drop a like and a comment below. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. But, you know, be nice because we like you guys. So please be nice. We'll and if, you, if you don't like the episode, <laughs> like you and can subscribe. Reach out to us at <laughs> daniel at yeah, he's our uh, quality control guy. So reach yeah. out to him before you reach. Don't or worry, our director. I have an Outlook rule that just sends it right to Don. <laughs> he's got a special folder for that. That's it's right. the trash. It's called the inbox. <laughs> <laughs> if mail in, then to Don. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't you love it working with tech savvy people? Yeah, it's it's great. We'll go ahead and uh, jump into our first article. This one comes to us, or our fourth article overall, our first security article. This comes to us from the register. Attacks abuse Microsoft DHCP to spoof DNS records and steal secrets. I know y'all were talking about this um, the other day when we were kind of going through these and y'all had some stuff to say. So I am curious what the yeah. conversation is on this. You know, I, I took a look at this and I, I've worked with Active Directory for a long time. And when Microsoft released Active Directory back in, in 2000, so 23 years ago, one of the big things they changed was the reliance on using DNS names as opposed to the old, um, uh, what was it, the Win? Oh, uh, NetBIOS, like Wins. Yep, yeah. the old Wins system and NetBIOS and all that. Yeah. So, uh, so they moved to using DNS names. And so a lot of people had to switch from not having a name server at all to having a dedicated DNS server. And there were a few things introduced at the time that were considered risky. And when I read through this latest attack, to me it – it looks like the same exact stuff that was risky 20 years ago, and they're just acting like they discovered it today. So I'm, I'm kind of a little confused by this yeah, one. Yeah, I've never heard of this before. That's why I put the article in the uh, thing uh, that the fact that you could – and maybe this was the uh, the big kicker because I, I, I read a few articles, mm -hmm. and a few of these articles talked about that this is something that we've known about and has been – 
um, uh, exploited, I guess, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not out in the wild, but it, it had some problems. But you had to be authenticated to make these things happen. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to update these DNS records through DHCP, then you would have to do it with valid credentials. And this is an unauthenticated hit for I don't know if this okay. is different than what you're familiar with. So let me let me lay out the attack as I know it because okay. I've, I've actually done this. So I'll tell oh, you. This is- <laughs> I'll tell you what I've done because when, when this first came out, and I'm I'm, I'm seriously talking about 20 yeah. years ago. Uh, the the challenge we had was when when you had wins or just NetBIOS, okay. right? A computer would boot up on your network and it would make an announcement. It would say, "Hey, my name is Don Desktop." And so everybody on the network would see I'm Don Desktop and it would cache that in their own local resolver cache. And now anybody could browse to backslash backslash Don Desktop and get to my computer. Okay. Right? Servers could do the same thing and so on. That was how NetBIOS worked. Uh, Wins was just caching all of that into a, a name lookup table like right. DNS does. But it was all dynamic. You didn't have to set up any of that. It just right. ran and it did its thing. DNS, not like that. In the year 2000... DNS was all manual creation. You got me thinking of Coco. <laughs> In the year 2000. Yeah. Uh, so has no idea what we're talking about. That. That. I, I wish I understood. It went musical. That was too far for her. You're killing me. <laughs> so so uh, DNS was all manual, right? Yeah. So if I wanted somebody to be able to do an IP lookup of Don Desktop, I had to go and manually create a record. And Microsoft said, hey, we're about to force people over to DNS. We need this to be automatic. And so they introduced dynamic DNS. When they said, okay, if a machine gets, gets connected to the Active Directory, it's authenticated, it's allowed to reach over to the DNS server and create an entry for itself. So I could create a Don desktop entry tied to my IP right there in DNS, right. automatic. Makes an A record right? and you're done. Yeah. Where that becomes a problem is what about users that don't authenticate, right? What about if I bring my iPad on the network and it connects up and gets a DHCP address, Right. Well, you could say, hey, nobody needs to look up that iPad. Who cares? Let it go away. Or maybe I want it where the iPad gets on the network and I want it to update DNS, but I don't want to just give that to unauthenticated users. So instead, I'll configure the DHCP server to do it on their behalf. So now the DHCP server, whenever somebody requests an address and gets on there, the DHCP server can update DNS. Now, to my knowledge, that's turned off by default, but tons of Active Directory administrators across the world turn that on because you want like right. host names for all your stuff. According right? to Akamai, they they found like 40% of servers on the internet that had yeah. this turned on. <laughs> so so here's the risk. Let's say that my Active Directory domain name was technado.com. Yes. Right? And you bring your iPad on the network, or I bring my computer on, so now it automatically registers dondesktop.technado.com. Not a big deal, right? Not a big deal. What if I rename my desktop www, right? Now my computer boots up, goes to register, and tells the DHCP server, yeah, my host name is www, which, and you don't even have to change your computer name. You yeah. can just spoof all this, right? Uh, and then the DHCP server is going to say, hey, yeah, no problem. Let me go update this record. Oh, there's already a record for www, but that's you. I'll just update it to your IP. And now anyone going to www.technado.com is all of a sudden going to my desktop as opposed to the real server because I just took over that record. Right. That's a risk. And there's a super low-tech way to fix this. Use a different domain name for your DHCP pool, right? The DHCP server is what does the registration, and you tell it what domain to register. So just create 
pool.technado.com or local.technado.com or use a fake domain name, technado.land, you know, something like that. So what I was seeing in this article is they were saying that they are able to overwrite DNS records. Mm -hmm. Like, so if you had a record in there, you could, you set an option in your DHCP request and that option tells the server, this is the DNS record that you should add or overwrite if it's there. And it just does it. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is or where it is like, like why? So what did adding www do to the DNS record to make it go to like why wouldn't I just overwrite their DNS record that's already there? So by default, yeah, dynamic entries aren't allowed to overwrite a static entry unless you change that option. Gotcha. And so what what they're saying is like, hey, forty percent of people have changed that option. So yeah, they're they're saying that this is static. Like they're they're not using static entries. They are. That people are setting all these things. Just leaving it dynamic. Just leaving it yeah. dynamic, yeah. Which, hey, with IPv6 and stuff like that, yes. people do tend to leave things dynamic. I get it. But to me, this isn't like a bug or a flaw. It's a it's a risk that's been around for and a long, Microsoft long time. Microsoft agrees with you. Oh, and they've not so taken they, a stance? They, yes, they submitted this up. Like I said, we kind of down a, a bit of a rabbit trail on article hopping where <laughs> there was one person from, where was it from? I can't, I can't remember now. Um, oh, here we go. NetSpy. NetSpy's Kevin Robertson also did this beyond LLMNR and BNS spoofing, exploring Active Directory integrated DNS. There's another article that I kind of jumped into from the one from the register. And then there was also TrustedSec did some work based off of this work, and they were kind of moving this ball down the road, apparently. And apparently they're Akamai is saying that this is more. They 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 disagree with Microsoft, and that's kind of one of the bigger things I wanted to talk about was that mm -hmm. that's interesting because yeah. we do see this often where bugs are submitted, and the company goes, "Nah, it's not really a bug," and they go, "I kind of feel like it is." And they go, "Nah," and you have to prove that this is something that could affect them. And apparently, Akamai is withholding that information right now, but they have proof of concept that they can affect from outside of a network. DNS and perform like machine in the yeah. middle attacks. I guess we'll have to wait and see that proof of concept yeah. because as it stands right now, what they're describing to me is, is behavior that has been there a long time. And as an admin, like if I disable the windows firewall on a server, it's now vulnerable. Right. But that's my fault. I chose to disable that. And that to me is where this active directory yeah. stuff is. And at. The, and the Akamai does provide a script for looking through your uh, servers and see if there's anything that would be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And giving you uh, easy mitigations. Apparently, obviously, you want to static uh, DNS anything that is security related, right? Like, you obviously don't want anything, uh, your servers and uh, whatnot. It all needs to be done statically and not dynamically. Yeah. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest ways to go about well, this. And then putting creds on doing updates through dynamic updates. The creds, I think, are the real solution. Because yeah. if you look at modern architectures, right, where you've got load balancers and scaling clusters, so you're scaling mm -hmm. up, scaling down, you've got these containers that are coming up and grabbing IP addresses and then going away an hour later, you don't want to do static no, for that. No. no, that's a nightmare. So you, you want dynamic, but what you need is to have, like, right. a separate domain name leveraged for each of those technologies and then that way your DHCP pool, these attackers that come in with DHCP addresses, 
that that should be completely separate from any of your production systems. And so, yeah, they could try and man in the middle like other workstations, yeah. but not your servers, not your critical infrastructure. Well, you could grab creds that way. Like uh, if I man in the middle you for one of the services you use and I give you a landing page that looks just like it, and I did a credential harvesting, and now I yeah. could use credential stuffing to gain access to further systems and pivot through your network. Yeah, use it as that first yeah. foothold. It's just always, yeah. and that's the danger is like we, we tend to focus our security around the big iron and forget that phones and workstations, that's how I get in your network, right? If yeah. I can compromise an end user, guarantee whatever privilege that they have, I'm going to abuse and find my way into the next level. I can log into their email and start sending you know bad emails out to people with more security and social engineering them into getting more. And it's all about privilege escalation from there. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I think my favorite part, I know this isn't the point, but I think my favorite part of this article <laughs> is, I always have to start that way. I know it's not the point, but I love how they sometimes refer to like the, not imagined, but like the hypothetical yeah. attacker, the hypothetical person that would be causing a problem. Right. And they call them miscreants in this article. Miscreants, and I just think did. that's so fun, which it, by definition is correct. It it's, doesn't uh, get used enough. It honestly. doesn't. It's it's a word that doesn't I like see use, a lot of play. I like to use malfeasant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah malfeasant. They're they're one. causing mischief, those yeah. miscreants. Yeah. It's yeah. it's but it's it means a person that breaks the law, I think, or just behaves badly. So it's not wrong. Yeah. I just no. think it's fun. Instead of just yeah. saying attacker we don't speak with or bad actor, yeah. miscreant. Yeah. More yeah. Eloquence it's like anymore. Charles Twain or yeah. Charles Twain. Charles, Charles Dickens. Twain. <laughs> Charles Your favorite Dickens. <laughs> author is That's Charles my pen Twain. name now. Yeah. Charles, Charles Twain. Twain. Yeah. Charles. Like Mark yeah. Twain, but yeah. Charles Mark Dickens, Mark Twain. Charles Dickens. Oh god. I got him I got him transfixed. Uh, yeah. yeah, transposed. Yeah. I'm just yeah, I'm somebody else took the word privileges for today to use big strong words. So, I'm not doing that today. Miscreants. Shenanigans. Yeah. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yeah. And what was the word you used? Ob you say uh, earlier ubiquitous ubiquitous that's yeah. the word you used yeah wow we need to have like a reading rainbow type thing on the bottom that has the words <laughs> the that we use. You know. <laughs> take a look it's in a book yeah we'll uh, we'll jump into our our next article because i'm clearly i'm too tired for this this is i'm losing my marbles uh but this next article is part of a segment called behind bars This one comes to us from Tom's hardware. It says product managers stole $250,000 worth of PC hardware, jailed for three years, and perps sold pilfered gear on eBay. That's another fun one. Perps sold the pilfered gear. It's like I'm watching a mob movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the the story here, I guess, is that is that he's not facing jail time, or was this is this old news? Uh, well, you know, it has been going on for a little while. He was arrested, but he has now been sentenced to three okay. years. So uh, he has actually going to do jail time. A, a lot of times, we we make that comment here on the podcast, like, oh, so and so spread malware, but they're never going to see. They're not going to see a set of bars anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> it's because well, they're in another country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but in this case, they do, and uh, you know, it's just interesting that this product manager. You know, some of you listeners out there might not know this, but in my day job, I am the chief product officer for a, a training company, and uh, uh, it's interesting to see what some of my peers are doing in the industry. <laughs> and this one had a slightly different revenue model kind of figured out for himself, and. Sadly, this is not the first time I've heard a story like this. I know we reported on it before here on the podcast. And locally, I actually uh, had spoken with a company up in Lake City. It's about oh, yeah. 45 minutes north of here where they had something similar. Their head IT person had an idea. And the idea was when we order replacement computers, nobody's really keeping track of whether we install them or not. They, like, they count on us to do that. And so... I could just erase something from the inventory sheet and then take it home and sell it on eBay and now I get cash. 
and and that's what they do. And the the one that was here local is about seventy five thousand dollars in stuff. Uh, so this this guy online here, two hundred fifty thousand, like a quarter of a million dollars. They uh, they would basically order computers and you know mark it down as like it's going to this person, that person, whatever. Yeah. And sometimes this was a reseller, and so sometimes they would sell them. And a customer would return them. Yeah. And they would just like market as returned, received, and that was it. And they would take the return and turn around and sell it. So they had a few different ways of doing it, but they would smuggle the hardware out. And the the product manager was an active employee, but there was a former employee that was the one who was actually selling stuff on eBay. So, so he, were, he was kind of the middleman. Yep. Like, uh, here you go, pass that along, get that money. I'll take my cut, you take yours, and we move along. And they were splitting the deal, and they they did this over the period of, of years. Seven years, I think. Yeah, I said. yeah, yeah, went on for a long time. I mean, honestly, though, what's seven divided by two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand divided by seven? What were the, what were the what was their yearly take on like this? twenty grand? I guess twenty grand, something. Yeah, was it thirty five thousand seven fourteen? Thirty five thousand. Oh, I'm way off. Close to thirty six. Extra thirty five. Don't let me do your taxes. Your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Math. It's yeah. hard. <laughs> so, you know, as IT people, a lot of times we we think of ourselves as being responsible for security, uh, stability. We need to keep the network up and running. We need to keep it where people can access the Internet. We focus on things like that. But our responsibility for hardware and mm -hmm. high dollar hardware at that can tempt people to to do bad things. And this is an extremely traceable crime. And so if you've ever entertained the idea of, of like, I need a new monitor at home and I could just grab one out of the supply room. Yeah. It's a bad idea. It's, it's a bad uh, idea. It is a crime. That's and right. Especially with, like, the fact that most companies now are, are are doing much better at creating an inventory of their assets, doing asset inventory, having a whole asset inventory management system where you're scanning things, you're putting, you know, the di many different ways in which you could do this. I think all of our stuff has assets tags on them. Yeah. Right? So... All it takes is one person to go, hey, let's take a look and see how things are going. That's not the person that's stealing. And they'll go, huh, uh, this doesn't line up. We need to talk. Yeah. You know, the challenge we have, and this this isn't a crime. It's just something yeah. that happens. But uh, we do a great job of tracking laptops and, and other hardware, like the high dollar hardware. Yeah. We get those back. It's fine. Yeah. Sometimes people don't take care of their stuff. Sometimes, and, yeah. So they we call get these, those weekdays. <laughs> we get these laptops back that are beat to hell, and we can't reissue that to another employee. So sometimes it's a loss for us. But we do get the hardware back, which is important because of the data that's on there. Yeah. Uh, but it's the accessories that really start to eat things up. And for us, it's headsets. Hmm. Like we buy these headsets that are one hundred twenty, hundred thirty dollars. And if you're going to be working remote, yeah. If you're going to be in Zoom calls and stuff like that, you need a good headset. If you're going to operate like that. So we, we buy some nice ones and send them out to people. Not, I mean, not like the Apple not Max things that are 500 <laughs> bucks, not like that, but it is rare that we get them back. And so you really? issue them to an employee and, and if they leave a month or two later or a year later or whatever, we get the laptop back. Cause we tell them we're going to take it out of their paycheck. And yeah. send it back. But, uh, but the headsets, those almost always count them as a loss and, and it adds up. Yeah, it and, does. yeah. Then they're not. This isn't like one person harvesting the headsets and selling them on eBay. It's just something that happens. So yeah. companies deal with hardware loss, right? But this is straight up crime. This this oh, guy yeah, this was, was smuggling hardware he had quite out. A racket and, going on here. And well, I mean, this it's a points out one of the security things that you we teach is separation of duties, right? Making sure that there's not any single person that kind of has the keys to a kingdom all by their lonesome because it can lead to things like this where there's no oversight. They, they're the, they're the king of their little fiefdom and they can just tell you whatever and you take it as the gospel. 
Yeah. Right. So you, there has to be uh, oversight from other areas that don't have a, a vested interest in seeing their friend pill, pill for the pockets yeah. of, of your company. The way the guy got busted up in Lake City was yeah. uh, there was an employee complaining to the CEO about uh, how slow their computer was. And the CEO was like, well, have you contacted IT? And she was saying, yeah, multiple multiple times. Times. this computer is seven years old and it's just a dog. And he said, seven years old? That seems a little yeah. old. And he he reached out to IT and was like, hey, when was that computer replaced? And they were like, yeah, hey, she got a new computer last year. Ruh row. And so then they started to look, and that's when they found out there were a lot of people that were marked out as having gotten new computers and hadn't. Mm. And they mm -hmm. went on eBay. Uh, in this case, there was a apparently, and and I don't understand the business model of this company, but uh, there was a laptop that only that company would have sold, and uh, somebody saw it on eBay that model, right. and they were like, nope, nobody else right. could have this There's laptop. There's no way some rando is selling this on eBay. Now that. I wanted to learn more about that. I could not find any more information. Like, mm. what what was so special about this laptop that only this one company right. could sell it? That's it's really company weird. It's branded. <laughs> maybe. Right? Maybe right? there's something on it that marks it as theirs. And that was how they were able to, like, get the law to look at it and track about who who runs this eBay account that's right. doing the selling and, and so on. And they, they busted them. Wow. Jeez. It goes into detail about, like, specifically what he did. It was this guy, last name was Hudson. Now, obviously, a former employee yeah, of the company. Of just, no, you obviously. know, in case it wasn't clear. Um, he manipulated stock levels, stole items from custom returns, made new items in the inventory unavailable by showing them as returned and credited. And then I guess an employee got wind of it or figured it out. From and the then, eBay listing. Yeah. And yeah, and so they, that, that was how they were able to, to get to it. But I love yeah. the the language they use in this article. They talk about like, it was this dynamic duo that pulled <laughs> off the heist and here's really, the saga of the really seven-year embezzlement. up the language. Huh? They did. They It's like they're telling, uh, it's like I'm watching a 1950s news broadcast with like the transatlantic, you know, yeah. the dynamic duo was awarded for their efforts with a jail term. Like that's genuinely a sense in this article. It's so fun. Not, I mean, the, the story's not fun. Yeah, no, the situation's not fun. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't steal, but they did. Uh... I've seen it though. I I, I worked at uh, a local hospital and I saw a guy. He he was taking stuff, brand new. Mm. You just stick it in his trunk. You're like, dude, what are you doing? You can't do that. We we were all like 18, 19, so yeah. You know, it happens. It does. It happens. It does. If you see something, you, you say should say something. something. Unlike Daniel, yeah, he did not say something, <laughs> but was he like, was eighteen, so he's like, no, you take him home and you play with him, then you bring him back, and then like, okay. But nobody ever sees well, you it never come follow back. Up. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they got to a, a quarter million dollars, cool quarter million, but it obviously did not pay off in the end because now they go into jail. So yep. don't do that. Um, for, in case it wasn't obvious, we shouldn't have to say that, but don't do it. We Crime joke. doesn't pay. Crime well, I mean, does it pays not... for a little while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Crime does not pay. We'll go ahead and jump into uh, our next article here. This one's part of another segment that we love called Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah. This one comes to us from TechCrunch. We, we've we gone into, you know, debates about how this is pronounced. CISA, 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 says U.S. government agency was hacked thanks to end-of-life software. So don't don't know how that how that acronym is pronounced. I choose to say CISA. I was yes. gonna say Kissa. Kissa, Kissa. my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so this this it's a it's a U.S. cybersecurity agency, CISA. They've warned that unknown hackers broke into the servers of a federal government agency. So that's always fun to hear. Yeah, you know, so this one this this has been like a, a breaking news story over the last week and a half, and we didn't talk about it last week because there just weren't any real details on it, and they're they're still being guarded. Um, I'm having a hard time even figuring out exactly which agency it was that got hacked, but the 
the thing here when it when it first was announced was you know hey this this particular branch of the U.S. government didn't update their systems. I'm like, well, that was no surprise right there, right? Yeah. And they, they didn't do Windows updates or something like that. And they're like, well, actually, they were they were using software that was end of life. Uh, okay, all right. So it was end of life, but they weren't doing updates. And no, 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 this is like true end of life. They were using software that's no longer even supported by the vendor. Right. And I'm like, okay, what what the heck was this software? And then I found out it was Adobe Cold Fusion. Now, Sophie... It's borderline impossible for you to have heard of Adobe Cold yeah. Fusion. Sounds it's like a Slurpee. Old. Daniel, do you even remember? That's a, old. So it was for like web development, right? Back in the original dot com yeah. boom in like the late 1990s, if you were an enterprise and you wanted to create a a, a, a web page, a modern that was website, robust and, and and ready for that dot com boom in 2000, uh, Adobe Cold Fusion was the way you went. Like it was a robust framework that gave you a way to do dynamic content. It was very very powerful. Uh, it was a nightmare to work with, but it was very powerful, very expensive. And the last time I saw a Cold Fusion server was probably 2004, uh, That's a so while 19 back. years ago. Adobe end of life it a while back. I don't even know exactly when they end of life it. It's shocking, um, but all of a sudden you you have this government agency that's still using it today, and that is nuts. It, it's like it would be the same as if I came across a website that said, "Oh, you need Flash Player installed." Yeah, right. Remember that, that oh, used yeah. to be pretty common. Now you never see that because. Because you don't no. have Flash Player, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is worse, like worse than Flash Player. Uh, yeah, just bizarre. Blows my mind. So I found the article very interesting. Uh, I I feel like they were government sympathizers on this <laughs> because they're like uh, they've been taking advantage of a previously known vulnerability in software that no longer receives updates. Meaning the agency couldn't have patched it even if it wanted <laughs> like to. Like there was no way to like, avoid this. There was this. just nothing they could have done. <laughs> These poor people, I mean, we don't want to come down on them too. I was like, oh, yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, I guess this is TechCrunch. So TechCrunch is marked out for. True. Government. It's like saying, like, well, they locked their door and the lock is just like one of those little chain things that you yeah. put on. Like, there's nothing they could have done. Yeah. Install a deadbolt. Like, I feel like there are some things you could have done. <laughs> there's probably well, something. Like, not yeah. use cold fusion. <laughs> I mean, there's that. Cold Fusion to me, that. That, that sounds like the newest Ben and Jerry's flavor. Uh, like, that does not sound to me. I know it's obsolete now, so it doesn't matter, but that sounds like a Slurpee flavor. I you hear find they're on the brink of cracking Cold Fusion in science realms. <laughs> they keep promising. Or, or at least room temperature, right? Yeah. 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 Room temperature fusion. That would be crazy. <laughs> so yeah. this article doesn't use as fun of language of the no, dynamic duo. Da, da, da. Just, you know, it just kind of sympathizes with the government agency, which has been unnamed at this point, apparently, that the fact that yeah, these hackers took advantage of the fact that they were using unupdatable software. Okay, well, let's, yeah. let's use that as a conversation piece. You have software. You know it is end of life. Mm. You are a government agency. I feel like this is not hard. Like, this is a simple yeah. math problem here that even a child could do and go, cool, let's start looking for alternatives to using Cold Fusion yeah. side by, like, you know, in place Oh, you know, go, go with, a, with an update to that, and then we can push Cold Fusion off into the distance and watch it sunset, and we're good to go. It's that simple. Mm. But the government moves at the speed of, you know, turtles look fast. Yeah. I, so I have a couple of theories on this one. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I just did a quick look. There are versions of Cold Fusion that still have support. Do they really? So I'm, I'm looking at the ones that were end of life, and the, uh, the last version that's already been end of life was Cold Fusion 2016. Okay. Uh, and there it end of life in February. 
So that means that it it stopped getting supports eight months ago, ten months ago. How long ago, ago did they start telling them this is going to be end of life? I'm sure well in advance of that, right? right? So so then you might ask yourself, well, wait a minute. If they could have gone to Cold Fusion 2018 that is still supported, why right. didn't they upgrade, right? And so my, if I had to guess. It's government. Well, I, I don't <laughs> think even necessarily this is a well, government they, they thing. They have a lot of like testing and stuff that has to go through and be approved for security. And they like, do. Right. But l let's pretend this was an enterprise. Let's okay. pretend it was us, right? Maybe this is a legacy system. We've already replaced it with an all-new system. Mm. But we're keeping the old one around because, hey, maybe somebody needs to log in and access an old record every now and then. And so we, let, let's just keep it running so it's there if we need it. But everybody's using this new shiny system that's super secure, all the updates, MFA, you know, retinal scans, every, everything you can ask for on this new system. DNA samples. And it's in place. <laughs> and I, I see this happen a lot is that people will implement an entirely new platform and never send down the old and keep the old one around just in case right what, what if i need it and not what is, even think what is about that it mentality? anymore the well, what if dude you ain't touched it in 12 years yep. if you ain't touched it in 12 months it's time to go <laughs> now yeah. government i think gets a pass on this uh in the private sector yeah the longer you hold data, the more of a liability it is, right? right? So like, let's say you had somebody who was your customer 10 years ago and they, they left. They're not your customer anymore, right? And you've held on to that data for 10 years and you get hacked. Well, now their data is a part of your breach. Right. But they haven't been your customer for 10 years. Did you really need to keep their data anymore? No, you no. should have gotten rid no. of it. Yeah, right? get rid of that. That job. should be part of your... It's like taxes, right? After so many years, you yeah. file 13, that sucker. But the, the government typically has to retain things for longer. And but they also have a much more sensitive attack surface, right? Like yeah. if they are breached, it is far worse than if an enterprise gets breached in theory. In theory, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and typically that would that would be the case. And mm -hmm. the fact that they're not telling us which organization this is really strikes fear in the heart of the populace. I think it's funny uh, that they they felt it, that they needed to clarify. There's no evidence the attackers planted malware or did anything more step than one. just in, in the they just looked release. around. They just looked around. That's all they did. No big deal. I feel like yeah. that's still yeah. concerning. Yeah. I'm sure it only affected one percent of the yeah. users. Yeah, three hundred fifty million people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll be oh, it's fifty. Oh, actually, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ah. It was just a I said weeks it was, later. <laughs> they said it was just a reconnaissance effort to map the broader network. That's uh, all. That's okay. not. That's yeah. not okay. concerning. No at big all. deal. Yeah. No, well, makes as long me as there's no malware, now. I feel warm and fuzzy yeah, about right. that. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, you know, my my advice on this one, if, if if my prediction is true that this was a legacy system they were just keeping around, is hey, I get it. I've been there. If you need to do that. Uh, I would absolutely recommend you keep that offline. Right. You, you shut it down, and if you do need to go and get a record from it, all right, you're going to power up like Glacier. You were talking about earlier, right. Daniel. You, you, yeah, all right, you might have to wait a few hours before we can get at that data, but it's still still there. Or there's nothing stopping you from moving it to a separate VLAN and controlling access and saying it's off the network. If you want it, we right. can we there can arrange are it. secondary security controls that you could have put in place yep. that would have mm -hmm. kept this safe. It just wasn't done. I remember I, I worked for a bank out in, in Seattle, and uh, we had this one computer that connected to the FUD, uh, the FUD, the Fed, <laughs> <laughs> which is not all that much different, but yeah, the Fed. <laughs> and it, it had to run this software that we couldn't trust. It was like mm. untrustworthy software right. uh, in, in a very sensitive system. And so we had this one computer that ran directly into a firewall before it plugged into our network. So we had to put a firewall in between a single machine. But that was the cost of doing business. If That's we it. wanted to secure that machine, that was what we had to do. Yeah. You would think more people would do it. Yeah. But yeah. apparently that can't be bothered. 
That's, that's crazy. Crazy talk. <laughs> You would think. I'm curious to know what's. Um, I know we, we spend a lot of time, you know, talking about our thoughts and opinions and you know various concerns on these matters. But you know, of course, we do have a comment section. If you're watching uh, from YouTube, even if you're listening from like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, feel free to hop over to our YouTube channel, leave a comment, let us know what you think about all this stuff, what your opinion is. I know we like to we we rag on these organizations a little bit. It's fun to do, you know. It's just bit. fun. It's fun to be <laughs> cynical, bit. you know. But let us know what your thoughts are. We love to hear from you all. Love to hear your comments. And um, if you do enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you dropped a like and subscribed if you haven't already. We are. Actually, I think I think I can mention this. We're trying to get to 150,000 subscribers by the end of the year. That is our goal. Obviously, we are coming up on that deadline pretty quick. I think right now we are sitting at 142,600 and change. Mm. So if you haven't subscribed already, we'd love it if you did. Um, so you can never miss an episode of Technado or any of the other things we have going on here. And you can help us get to that goal by the new year. And That's if you can subscribe 8,000 times, we'd appreciate that even more. Yes. You Create a bunch be. of sock puppet accounts <laughs> and just subscribe. <laughs> you will be a super fan and you will have our eternal gratitude. Right. So feel free to, to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We would love to have you here. Join us for these conversations every week. And you can also check out, we've got webinars and other live events that we'll do. I mentioned earlier that we did a giveaway the other day. So sometimes stuff like that pops up. Yep. Keep an eye out for that kind of thing. Even if you missed the original broadcast um feel free to go back and watch we did some awesome trivia questions and i, I talked to some people that watched it and they were like that was a challenge mm. i thought you were going to pick easy questions and they were kind of hard so if you feel like challenging yourself you can go and participate even you know post yeah. not post haste i was gonna say posthumously but that yeah. means you that means too. you're dead yeah. so <laughs> so not that but you can feel free to you know go and participate play along we're not giving um, away medals of honor here <laughs> no no we're not we're not we're not there yet um, and then also we've got, of course, webinars that happen. Uh, we've got one coming up the very first week of the new year. It's going to be an all-things cybersecurity webinar with John Hammond. So he'll be returning. That'll be myself and Daniel will be present for that one. So we'd love to have you there. Bring your questions. And uh, we're going to be doing that the first Thursday of every month next year. So we'll have a lot more of those coming your way. And lots of other webinars that you can keep an eye out for, too. So subscribe to the channel so you never have to miss one of those. And, of course, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd love to have you here as well. And appreciate you so much for listening think that pretty much does it for me unless you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share on uh on this lovely sissa information i know i kind of cut y'all off there no um, whatever you want to do how selfish of us <laughs> it's about my needs right let's do yeah. all the things that you want to do <laughs> if we don't get one like was that ace ventura yeah if we don't get one ace ventura reference in every episode then we failed we, we failed. haven't done it right we yeah. have yes exactly <laughs> But yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much going to do it for me. Reminder, you can still use that tech, that code TECHNADO30 for an IT Pro membership if you choose to do so. It's not ITPro.com. <laughs> Man, you took I messed my that joke. Up. I was going to say so. I knew that was coming. He's, he's not going to let me hear the end of that. But nope. check out uh, the IT Pro library. Lots of cool courses there. That's what we do during our day jobs. Um, I think Don mentioned that, uh, you know, he talked about his day job a little bit earlier. And we love it. It's a fun time. Well, I love it. I shouldn't I shouldn't speak for you. We have a lot of fun. It's a good time. So feel free to check out those courses and use that code TECHNADO30 uh. for a discount. That's going to do it for me. If that's all for you guys, if Don, you have nothing, you nothing else. Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. speaking for him. Yeah. ACI Don loves great. his job. They are the best thing ever. I would never say anything against great ACI. <laughs> Drink more slurm. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google that one. That's, that, that, oh, I, man. That's Futurama. That's Futurama, yeah. You just okay. give up. So I was born too up. late. Yeah. I was born too late. Thanks <laughs> so like much for orange her. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Rag on Sophie. And uh, we'll see you next week for another episode of Technado.